Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com. And now we're going to take a look behind the scenes at the Afghanistan evacuation. And here well, as much as we can, about the veterans who volunteered to do the dangerous work of getting our people through the gates at one of the deadliest airports during those last few days in Afghanistan. Now, my guest is Richard Ian Porter, a father, a husband, a Marine Corps veteran, a product manager from North Carolina. And for two weeks in August, he worked in shifts helping with tech as part of Team America, an impromptu self-organized group of volunteers focused on helping Afghan allies with preparing their immigration status and documentation and even helping them get through the best gates to evacuate through the airport. With that, I want to say welcome, Richard. Thank you so much, Phil. Appreciate you having me. Wow. When I first heard of Team America, it was on another podcast. And pick up the six, the podcast. And from the minute that guy broke the mic and talked about what you guys are doing, I was just riveted. I was like, wow, veterans? At a moment's notice, we were literally called by a phone tree of people with various levels of connections and said, hey, man, you want to help? I'm talking, it was things like phone calls that would help direct them through a crowd, navigate their way around Taliban checkpoints set up within the city, find secret safe houses where they could stay and hide. It was tech support where they were able to get documentation kind of through the secret squirrel network and, and, and to safety so that the people in the government could be stamping these with approvals and getting them to the next phase and then ultimately on a plane. Um, that's a hell of a lot of setup to say, hey, man, let's start with you. Marine veteran, tell me about one, your experience in Afghanistan, and then we'll get into how you joined Team America. Yeah, I'd love to tell you about that. Um, one aside I'll say beforehand is, you know, we, we really want to emphasize the courage, the tenacity, and the cleverness of our Afghan allies and the success they attained in getting through the gates when they did um, is all to their own credit and, and all to their own ability. We helped a little bit with uh, reducing some of the red tape that they had to overcome 
and suggesting least bad gates. There were no best gates um, where they might have the most success to gain access to the airport and, and get on a plane. Um, but our Afghan allies who managed to escape deserve all the credit. Just Team America's organization has tracked um, over 300 that successfully departed. We're tracking over 1,000 um, that did not. And their inability to um, does not reflect on them or, or really even on us, um, but just the, the tragic circumstances um, that we've, we've encountered here. But yeah, I'll, I'm happy to share a little bit about my background and why I was called to this work and, and so eager to join it. Um, I commissioned into the Marine Corps in 2007, um, and my, my specialty was ground intelligence in the Marine Corps. That's the, the, the type of intelligence that focuses on the ground combat element and thinks about um, integrating the, the picture and the understanding of what's going on between all of the different types of collection assets, whether they be aircraft or signals intelligence or human reports, whether uh, from locals through human intelligence collectors or through your own Marines, whether they're specialized for it, like uh, scout snipers or reconnaissance Marines and, and fusing all of those into an operational picture and an intelligence summary for a commander to make decisions. My first deployment to Afghanistan was with 3rd Battalion, 10th Marines in support of Operation Mashtarak, the clear of Marja, um, where we did both a provisional infantry role um, and a cannon artillery uh, role, meaning that we did both grunt style work, maybe not quite as well as the grunts did, but don't let the mm -hmm. artillerymen hear that. And we did uh, shooting cannon much better than the grunts ever could, and, and everyone can hear that. <laughs> so as the intelligence officer, I got to practice the, the discipline there with a fantastic complement of intelligence Marines, learned a lot about Afghanistan there, had friends uh, who, who were killed. And um, I was reflecting on this and I realized that as I was coming back into country, I, I met up with a friend from school who happened to be the intel officer that replaced me in the area of operations. And I said, hey, man, how's old Chapawali doing? And he said, oh, the Taliban owns it. I said, what? And he said, yeah, we didn't have the force to keep patrolling it anymore. So we had to stop. And now the Taliban owns it. And that was where um, Sergeant Chris Herbeck had been killed by a secondary IED. And so it made me really reflect on how does this differ for the entirety of the war? Um, and I was very pessimistic about where it was going. But I, I realized in the past two weeks, two and a half weeks ago, how, how much hope I'd been holding out that I was wrong and that there would still be a good outcome in some places and that the Afghan military and the Afghan government that fought so heavily against this, they soaked up more casualties in a year than we soaked up in our whole 20 years. So people should not claim they didn't fight. They did. But I hoped that they had the endurance to continue and to protect enough small spaces that some of the population would continue to live in some semblance of freedom um, and how disappointed I was that it wasn't happening. And, and that took my mind back to my fellow Marines. And so I started checking in on them and texting them and saying, how are you doing? How are you sitting with this, with what's going on in Afghanistan? And I got back in touch with one of my old master sergeants from my advisor team deployment of two years. Uh, and, and he said, uh, get on this group chat real quick. I thought, our, I thought our best interpreters were in Texas, but get on this group chat. So I got on that group chat and found out that of our best interpreters, two of them we know made it to the United States uh, on special immigrant visas and are now American citizens. But one had gone home to visit family in Kabul right before this popped off. Um, and we saw him on group chat. And um, there wasn't, I felt totally helpless and powerless, unable to help. And so I said, uh, I just tried to give him some words of encouragement in this group chat and said, um, 
I think you need to try to get to the airport. I think you you may need to hide your documents. I don't know, maybe try some creative hiding places, um, but you, you need them if you get to the airport to get in and you don't want to be caught with them by the Taliban. So you need to figure out some way to hide them really well. And then I, I said, you're courageous, you're strong, you're clever. You've been through very challenging spots. I've seen it and you can do this. And he did. Um, he put on local clothing. He concealed his documents. He you know, got a ride with friends and family and, and got through three Taliban checkpoints, got to the crowd at North Gate. There were only 300 people in the crowd at the point that he got there on the 17th and pushed his way through the crowd to the front and whipped out his blue passport and waved it at the Marines. And they pulled him up over the wire. And he got on one of the one of the first several C-17s to fly out to Qatar. And no sooner had he landed than he started saying, how can I help? I, I need to help. My family's still there. And wow. so that's that's why I was called to this was because the friends and family that helped my interpreter get out on the 17th, they're still there. And I, I was hopeful that we could help, that we could help with a rapid application for visas because they hadn't started yet. Or my other interpreter who, who started a family reunification visa application that's pending but not approved. I was hoping we could rush those through somehow with with contacts and then and then give them advice on the least bad gates and get them on a plane. But um, to my immense regret, we couldn't. Um, and they're still there. But um, because I joined this loosely organized Team America group and happened to work in technology and, and therefore volunteered to help with the technology support part of it, um, I was able to support other volunteers whose advice on documentation and status and least bad gates was able to facilitate 300 making it to safety let's talk a little bit now about team america America. Um, here you are you've been out you're not an intel officer anymore you've been doing something uh, software related you, you've got a family, you've moved on, you, you don't shave anymore, you got a beard, you're, you're a dad. Uh, you've just been sitting on the bench watching it on the evening news like all of us. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get this group chat going about a Terp that needs some help. You're all on this group chat through some sort of social media or some sort of system there. And Team America. I mean, you'd probably never even heard of this before. I admit when I first Googled it, all I could find was... The world police, and I'm assuming you are not part of Trey Parker and Matt Stone's movie from 2004. This is not a bunch of foul-mouthed puppets. This is this is a group of uh, you know loosely connected but uh, specifically organized veterans trying to make a difference. But talk to me about like the multi-tiered thing that is this group of team America. Yeah, absolutely. We're, um, we're a two week old organization. And, uh, so finding us is not going to be as easy as finding the movie by the same name. Um, (laughs) great song though, by the way. Yeah. Uh, there's a little dark humor in that, in that movie, the Americans mess everything up and then they try to fix it. Um, I don't think that's the reason originally behind it, but one of our early founders uh, used this as the phrase and we used it as our, our inbox name. And so it stuck. And there's been a ruthless prioritization from the beginning of what's important gets done and what's unimportant gets left and changing the name was never important. Um, so even though it, it may be a, a dark joke in some ways, uh, we've, we just pressed on with doing other things that seemed more important at the time, um, largely focused on our work. So what started as um, just some very basic 
um, social media or, or SMS messaging amongst those of us here in the States and, and passing back and forth documents um, quickly grew into using more modern office collaboration software in which we could work at the same time, in which we could work more publicly. Um, and we, we kind of developed a system by which um, Afghans in need of help would email our inbox at teamamericaafghanevac at gmail.com, I think. Um, but I'll share the URL with you so that um, people who want to pass this to people can in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then initially, there was a lot of manual work. So our volunteers would uh, intake from information they were getting in this email, and they'd, they'd pull it to a, a different personal box. And, um, and after it was there, then they'd work it, and they'd try and develop the, uh, the documentation and the information picture about the status of these people, how many in their party, um, which of them has maybe an American citizenship, maybe a green card, maybe uh, various classes of visas. Um, and, and the documentation of that. Um, and then once we were pretty sure that they were, uh, we had enough information on them that we could make a convincing case if they were able to make it to a least bad gate, um, we would connect them with one of our 24 hour communicators. And so they were working in, in full shifts to communicate with the Afghans on the ground to give them the latest information they had about which gates were the least bad at the moment that they might be best able to make it through. Um, and you know, some some of us still have you know, contacts and friends that are still in the official organizations of the DOD and the DOS that um, we could sometimes get information to and from. Um, and and I don't want to in any way downplay the work that the people in the official organizations did. Many of them were very heroic um, doing this work, and they've helped so many more than we did. But we could help make them more certain about some people. And, and we would do that. We would help make them more certain about certain people in advance before they would show up at gates. Um, and, and then we'd, we'd try to make sure they show up at the least bad gate at the moment. One of the more striking events that I think everybody has probably heard about was the suicide IED attack on, um, on Abbey Gate. And um, everybody trying to do their best was trying to share the most current information. And we some of our communicators were able to get to some of the Afghans we were communicating to enough warning that some of them were able to get away from it. And, and likely they would have been killed if, if they hadn't been. And the information picture is never as, as clear or crisp as you want. And all the DOD that were there had the same information that we had um, and were making trade-offs and, and making um, difficult decisions in the moment. So I don't mean to imply that like we knew something that the DOD didn't, or that the lives of those service members could have been spared because there was a, a risk trade-off that had to be made with hundreds of people that wanted to get through and the need to protect it. Um, but uh, we were we we were able for some of those who didn't need urgently to go through that gate at that moment to get them to back off, um, and and some lives were saved by that. Um, mm. So that's kind of. A, a picture of of how we worked um, and how a case would move through. We've we've since pivoted um, in how we can help because we no longer there's no more American military on the ground. Um, we don't have any ability to advise people on least bad gates. It's unclear if or when the Taliban will meet their commitment to reopen flights and to allow um, American citizens, green card holders, or or Afghan allies with visas to depart. Um, we don't know if or when that will happen. So. We no longer 
try to provide advice on lease bad gates, but we do still offer the possibility to um, to back up any documentation or status for any Afghans that are trying to evacuate into our um, database for secure safekeeping in case they need to discard um, or stop. All right. I'm going to pump the brakes real quick right there because okay. that's so incredibly cool. But through this loose network of veterans that started just kind of on a group chat and a Gmail address, you guys were able to link your connections, your your contact lists all the way to getting people to navigate through the crowds. And another story I heard on another podcast I had mentioned was was one guy actually was helping him navigate through the crowd on his phone because you'd said you'd had 24 hour phone support. There were people that were basically volunteering to be by their phones at all hours of the day. So if need be, they could get on the phone with somebody and you guys not only could talk to our Afghan allies at times, but you were able to get Intel and direct and know the situation with various gates and sometimes helping get them to, the safest route possible in a very unsafe and unpredictable war zone. Wow. That's amazing that that can happen. That's amazing that technology exists that way. And um, that as veterans, you guys stayed true to your commitment to our friends over there. Um, Let's talk about where this mission is going. Now you were about ready to share how we are, uh, you know, we had to switch. Obviously the ground game is gone. We don't have Intel operatives. We don't have people, you know, that we can connect with that can physically make a difference on the street there because we went wheels up. But we're still doing things. You guys are still sort of in the mix and helping people as best we can continue to find their way out. Uh, Talk to me about what that looks like. You'd mentioned it. It's with documentation. It's with uh, uh, tech. Again, I don't want to give up sources and methods, but there are systems in place that you guys are using to help get documents from one place to another. Share with me what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll share this URL for you or any of your guests if they want to share it with any Afghan allies. Um, basically hosted on our site is a document um, a document form for Afghan ally refugees if they want to back up their status, their information, any documentation that they have just in case they need a secure backup uh, available to them if they ever need to discard what they have um, or in in the worst of cases, destroy it um, for their concern that they might come under threat. Um, This way they they may in the future be able to recover it and to have that backup from someone that they can trust because our intention is to only keep it for them and to only share it with DOD or Department of State under under conditions we are confident in um, or, or other partnered organizations when we're confident that they're going to protect the information in a good, in a good state. Um, and we also offer the opportunity for Afghans to, if they change their mind, to delete it back out again. If, if for some reason they decide that they don't want to trust us or they don't want to trust people that we may share it with, um, they'll, they'll be able to delete that whenever they please. Um, and we're, we're advocating, we're, we're no longer giving advice um, on least bad gates, but we're, um, doing advocacy like this, like talking with uh, media, like talking with senators, congresspeople, um, and, and urging our fellow citizens to do the same, to call on Congress and the presidency to put pressure on the Taliban to meet their commitment that they've made publicly to allow Afghan allies to depart safely if they want to, to evacuate from Afghanistan safely. Um, and then some actions we can take on our own government, such as 
raising the, the national and state level refugee caps and waiving the absurd $575 fee per person for a visa application. If you, if you can imagine um, a family of four fleeing for your life with, with what you happen to be able to throw in a bag, um, you could probably pretty quickly understand why that becomes an extremely um, expensive thing to undertake just to apply for a visa. So, I mean, we're the U.S. government or we're the United States of America. We don't need $500, $575 from our Afghan allies that, that sacrificed so much. We can comp them that much with what we pay in our taxes. Wow, that's still amazing to me, the fact that there's a data network out there capable of taking, uh, you know, we're talking Afghan allies of ours taking pictures of a document even, right, on their phone and just uploading it somewhere. I mean, we're it's that raw of a technology that we're dealing with in order to help get their cases moved forward and help get their visas approved, right? Yeah, that's right. And and mm. the, the necessity of really being able to hide things or possibly destroy them goes very deep. You know, there's there's reporting um, in the news that you may see of of well, the Taliban's a fractured and splintered organization, and not all of them are aligned to the commitment that the senior leadership have made. So if, if someone finds documentation of somebody helping us, it could put their life at risk. If somebody finds um, even that they've been emailing with someone like our organization or, or using some other kind of messaging and they can identify that they're in contact with Americans, that can put their life at risk. So many of our Afghan allies need to uh, be able to send this for safe storage and safekeeping and then be able to delete out any records that they have themselves in their in their phones or in their computers or in their emails or in any of their messaging systems, they need to be able to make it appear from their side like they haven't been in any kind of contact with anyone, but still have that knowledge that um, that there's a backup out there waiting for them if they can make it to safety, uh, that they can reestablish and use to show who they who they are, who they were, and how they helped us before they had to sanitize everything. Now, again, without revealing too much, but are you aware or have you heard reports of the Taliban returning to their old ways? Have you ever heard anything about um, citizens being murdered and executed? Uh, in a nutshell, yes, there's there's news reports that are looking pretty plausible that despite the commitment of high level Taliban leaders to um, to let Afghan allies escape, that there has been targeting um, and killings and um, attacks. Um, mm. So the, the economic pressure, the diplomatic pressure um, that our administration can bring to bear so that the, the higher level Taliban organization can try and enforce discipline on the lower level, that's an important part of our advocacy because these, these news reports, they, they, do have, they do have a lot of confirmation from, from different outlets. And, and I, I know that there's some that are going to honor that commitment and there's some that are going to break it, but we're, we're advocating for our government to put pressure on the leadership in that country to make good on their commitment to let Afghan allies depart safely. And of course, social media. I mean, as every day goes by, there's a new horrific picture, a new horrific image. Uh, Most of us saw that video of the helicopter most recently with, you know, somebody hanging from it. And, 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 and these are the things that, that I'm sure just, you know, hurt your heart, uh, you know, yeah. somebody that's been there. Um, so again, I appreciate your commitment to doing what you can and team America's commitment to, um, combining resources, skills, and backgrounds of all of our veterans to, to be able to make a difference in this space. Uh, we'll land here with one final thought, uh, of mine. And that is, as I recently shared something on Twitter, 
uh, about my conversation with Matt Zeller most recently, uh, another army veteran and activist, a guy who's worked tirelessly to help our allies over there get out. Um, it was picked up and it was shared. And before I knew it, I was messaging back and forth with someone who I believe to be an Afghan citizen, um, a former Terp, somebody that's worked alongside our forces. And he and his wife and two kids are in hiding. And he was asking me for advice. And suddenly I went from storyteller to being almost inside a story that I know nothing about. And I was just compelled, uh, you know, as just a God-fearing man to go, what can I do? You know, I mean, how can I help this man? But at, at some point I'm also going, am I now putting myself at risk? I'm communicating with someone. Am I, am I putting him at risk? Is on the other end of this Twitter exchange, the Taliban themselves. And am I going to be, you know, looking over my shoulder the next time I'm in the grocery store wondering, you know, are they going to pop off outside the, you know, frozen food section and get me? I mean, like, what do we do if we find ourselves in some sort of communication on social media with somebody requesting help? Um, where can I direct them or what are best practices? Yeah. Um, let me just say that everything you're, you're thinking and feeling are emotions that we and all of our volunteers have felt too. Um, the desire, that intense desire to help, um, that little sneaking suspicion of, well, what if it, what if this is secretly a Taliban person trying to target other Afghans or worst case trying to target me somehow? Um, I, I would suggest, you know, I, I can offer our, uh, website. It's teamamericarelief.org. And okay, I'll send that to you. AmericaRelief.org. Okay. That's correct. And and I can give you that URL so you can post it along with wherever this um, this podcast posts, but it's teamamericarelief.org. And on that we have our refugee data form that they can fill out. We have some advice um, on how they can sanitize their contacts on their phones, um, how they might download mesh networking apps in case the cell towers go out and they need to communicate with each other. Um, they may not be able to communicate with us anymore, but they communicate with each other and um, they can clear their contacts if they need to after they've uploaded any documentation. Um, hiding hiding looks like the best bet right now to give advice to anybody that's that's stuck there and then um, giving them that that form and, and allowing them to contact our volunteers is an option. There's other allied organizations out there. And frankly, we're we're working on establishing better connection points and, and liaisoning between each other and building that up along with um, the connections with the official organizations working on this department of state and department of defense. Um, but for now, uh, for your very small ask and anybody who, who listens to this, who's in a similar situation, teamamericarelief.org is, is what I'd recommend um, and, so, and, and confirming to them that hiding is the best thing we know of. Well, it's amazing that uh, you served your country as a Marine, and now years later, you are still in service trying to help others. And uh, that's pretty much what I would expect of so many veterans that I know. Uh, hearts in the right place, heads heads above it all, and uh, doing doing great work. Richard Ian Porter, Marine Corps veteran and uh, working with the, organi the loosely organized group Team America outstanding i thank you so much for sharing your stories and sharing so much uh, of the information about where people can reach out and get help thank you for having me really appreciate it thanks to all your listeners as well now again if you want more information about the organization team america you want resources you want a link to that refugee data form 
or you want to donate so that they can continue to do this mission, you can find them at teamamericarelief.org. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Farian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.